The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. So, good evening. My name is Musho. I'm a senior student at the Village Zendo. And tonight I'm talking to you from Catskill, New York, where I live. I'm looking at my Zoom screen. Let's see here. Uh, 22 people here tonight. I'm so glad you could be here. And thank you. Uh, so welcome to Rohatsu 2021. And here we are again on Zoom as the COVID virus continues. In Japan, Rohatsu means eighth day of the 12th month. And it's a day that most of the world's Buddhists have identified as the anniversary of the historic Buddha's enlightenment. Although there are many Buddhas before and after Shakyamuni, he is known as the historic Buddha and is credited as the founder of Buddhism. Uh, the story of Shakyamuni's enlightenment goes that um, after years of strenuous and unfruitful spiritual practice, Shakyamuni decided to sit under a tree and do meditation. And as he sat there, it is said, his thoughts were visited by demons with sharp swords. And there were also dancing girls and many other distractions. He forged on through the night, resisting those delusions desires and distractions. And looking up in the dawn sky, he saw the morning star shining. He then touched the ground in gratitude and said, I am awakened together with the whole great earth and all its beings. That's one translation. And there are many, but I prefer, I am awakened together with the whole great earth and all its beings. It's beautiful. I really love this story, and it's part of the reason why I keep our Rohatsu program going here at the Zendo, uh, because it's a beautiful story, and Shakyamuni's awakening was very generous and very peaceful. Last year, I talked about um, the generosity of an awakening that is shared with the whole great earth and all its beings. And this year, I want to talk about how peaceful his awakening was and is, actually. So my talk here started, I was starting to plan my talk, and I read one of these quotes from Tricycle Magazine. You know how they send these morning... Um, 
little meditations or quotes from their articles. And there was a quote from an interview with um, well-known Buddhist teacher, Joseph Goldstein. And Goldstein quoted, quoted the Buddha as saying that peace is the greatest happiness. Uh, for some reason, it really stuck with me. And it made me think a little bit differently about peace uh, than maybe I usually do. It's kind of a loaded word at this point for some reason. And I thought about uh, my own idea of peace. And um, I'm a child of the 60s and the 1970s. So in my mind, it, it, it's a portrait of, uh, it's a word that, that means, uh, uh, that lends itself to some sort of idealistic world unity where everyone is in harmony or maybe an image of a serene forest with sunlight filtering through the trees and birds chirping. Uh, but um, what little I do know about Shakyamuni's teachings is that I figured uh, he must be asking us to look at it in a different way. And in this case, he says, peace is the greatest happiness. That's all. I, I tried to find the quote um, that Joseph Goldstein used, and in my short amount of research, I came up with two. Uh, one is from the Dhammapada, uh, from a translation by Gil Frunsdahl, um, a great uh, Zen teacher, Buddhist teacher from California. I like his Dharma talks a lot. And um, the Dhammapada says, Nirvana is the foremost happiness. Also a quote from the Buddha, Nirvana is the foremost happiness. Uh, from the Heart Sutra, in the translation that we chanted the village Zendo, it says, this is nirvana, also the Buddha's words. Nirvana is the foremost happiness, and this is nirvana. Uh, in his awakening, Shakyamuni saw enlightenment everywhere, right now. And if you can imagine ancient India 2,500 years ago where he lived, suffering would have been intense. Few people probably live to be 50 years old. So I was wondering how could the Buddha see enlightenment everywhere when there was so much old age, sickness, and death everywhere? I thought about this, and I was in sitting in meditation a couple of weeks ago uh, in our little zendo here in Catskill. And I just was thinking, well, okay. Okay, this is nirvana right now, and peace is everywhere. Let's just go with that, that's what I was thinking. And what started to come to mind was that, in fact, without any imagination at all, uh, nothing in this world can function without peace. Peace is required everywhere um, in the in the most extreme you know if bombs are exploding and fires are raging uh, and angry people are yelling at you 
you can't do anything except be terrified. You can't even have a meal or walk outside or sleep or go to work or build anything or, or really do anything at all. Uh, peace is required for everything that we do. And we live in peace, actually. Uh, even when you see the news of all the suffering in this world, and maybe even experience it as you walk through New York City or wherever you live, um, you're only able to do this because there's peace enough to see the news and to walk around and see what's happening. You wouldn't be able to do that if there wasn't enough peace. Peace also allows you the time to consider what's needed and take action in a helpful way. So peace is required all the time and it is all around. I was even thinking about um, the Pentagon in Washington, DC. Even they need peace uh, to have their meetings and plan their war strategies. They wouldn't be able to if everyone was yelling and the building was falling down and uh, there was chaos everywhere. So even for planning wars and making war machines, peace is required. Of course, uh, for studying and learning anything, writing and especially making art or music of any kind, you need lots and lots of peace. I am a artist and a musician, and I need a lot of peace around me to do my work. Quiet, maybe a window with some sunlight, hopefully. That's the only way I can actually do my job. So if, as the Buddha says, the greatest happiness is nirvana, and I see nirvana as maybe peace that's all around us, then that means the greatest happiness is also around us too, all the time. It's hard to imagine in some ways because so many of us believe that the greatest happiness is far off, some kind of far off goal that you must somehow attain, that you have to work at and get to. But what if the simple piece that's right now, for instance, us here in the evening, If you're able to enjoy a cup of tea or serve one to someone else, you fully embody the great awakening of the Buddha. And of course, you can even be sad, worried about the world, grieving for a lost loved one and exist in the Buddha's awakened world at the same time. You can be laughing at a bar with friends or at a dance party and exist in the Buddha's awakened world at the same time. 
Of course, being in a serene forest with sunlight filtering through the leaves is would be excellent. But so would maybe being at a crowded protest march, maybe even in the rain. That would also exist in the Buddha's awakened world. And I think even when you may be having confused, busy thoughts, when you're tangled up in your own responsibilities and things to do, and even when you're disappointed by past events or thinking about difficult things in the future, even when all that kind of stuff is going through your mind, you exist in Buddha's peaceful, awakened world. I really believe it's true. Now, all of this is beautiful, but I have to add that although peace in this way is available to everyone, there are many people who cannot access that peace. I'm talking about people who live in desperate conditions, such as sustained poverty, forced migrations, refugee camps, or any kind of unsafe condition, unsafe conditions in a prison, uh, anything where constant survival is required, uh, it's very difficult to see a world of peace all around us. Uh, also mental illness and depression can make it nearly impossible to rest in Shakyamuni's enlightenment. But that is exactly why the Dharma has been created to end that kind of suffering. And for those of us who can realize the peaceful world, we can care of those that can't see it as well or as easily or are left behind. We have the responsibility because we know we're living in peace. Shock community's awakening is very grand, but also very ordinary. It's a man sitting quietly under a tree. It's pretty much as simple as that. And although the stories say that the whole earth shook when he touched the ground, there's a lot of cool stuff in the sutras that is fun like that. Um, his actually, his earth-shaking revelation was very intimate and very personal. The story also goes that uh, after his experience with the morning star, uh, he wondered if he'd even be able to teach what he learned. I think that's a really amazing point of this story because it is hard to explain that the whole world and all beings are all sharing the same enlightenment 24-7 past, present, and future. It's hard to explain that to people when there's so much suffering and complications. It's hard to explain and difficult to see. So the problem becomes how to see and appreciate it. And sometimes it happens in a flash. 
Uh, it could be a baby's giggle, a perfect poem read to you by someone, or maybe the morning star uh, lighting up in the dawn sky. Our Zen literature is filled with ordinary events that open people to this great peace. For example, <laughs> while Shang Yan was sweeping the path, a pebble struck a stalk of bamboo and made a clacking sound. At that moment, he suddenly had a great awakening. I love those kinds of Zen stories. And those kind of awakening moments are wonderful, but they happen very infrequently and often by chance. And I also think they fade, like everything else, they change and fade. And that's why the Zen masters have given us the practice of meditation. Because Shakyamuni's awakening is hard to explain and difficult to see. The Zen masters have made it clear that practice is required to see the ordinary and flowing peace as it is right now. Practice is required. We have to practice. I think in meditation, it's possible to experience Buddha's simple awakened world as it is right now. After he had tried all kinds of spiritual practices himself, including nearly starving himself to death, he decided to just sit quietly and notice what is happening, letting the demons and dancing girls just drift by and simply enjoy the morning star as it shines, just as it does. So tonight we're gonna to sit in meditation all night. And the demons and the dancing girls are gonna be included. And so are our worries and our fears and our wishes and our joys. They're all gonna be there in our meditation. And also, at around 3 a.m., our practice is basically going to be a struggle with our bodies that will want to sleep. It is not an easy practice when we get there. Every year I, I have this little, little sort of warning that Rohatsu is not a competition and it's not an endurance test. Please listen to your body tonight and, and feel free to go to bed <laughs> if that's necessary. It's really okay. But there is something exhilarating about making it into the morning and, uh, and emulating Shakyamuni's night under the tree. Uh, also, if you wanted to, um, you could rejoin us in the morning if you wanted to sleep for a while and uh, set your alarm for 5.55 and uh, spend the last period uh, of the morning with us. And then we're gonna do a little chanting service 
just the verse of the Kesa uh, and our little morning gata um, after that. The night is going to be divided into equal periods, and uh, we'll be ringing the bell, and there'll be a break between each period. But you can take your own breaks. Uh, feel free to to turn off your your sound and your and your video, and uh, take a break if you need to. So tonight we're all going to honor Shakyamuni's great contribution his wonderful invitation uh, to peace. Meditation is peace. Peace is nirvana. And nirvana is the foremost happiness. Thank you all for participating. And please enjoy this special night. We're now going to take a short break. And Zazen will start at 1035. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>